Killed it, Josh. Killed it. Well, good morning. It is, uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, For some of you uh, may know, a team of us just got back from Brazil. Uh, We were there to kind of what it's called a survey trip. And what we did was we met with several different church planners to see what God is doing there and how we as a church could partner with them. It says in scripture that we are to make disciples of all nations. And so it was an amazing journey. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be sharing with you what God did and how you are able to be a part of it. This is actually a shirt from the church that we got to visit. And man, I can't wait to share what God did in Brazil. Um, but also, too, I'm excited that you're here. I'm thankful that, that you're here in the room. It is You are our family. When we were in Brazil, the, the thought that kept going in my mind is that you saw such a family environment, and all it did was trigger me to say, man, I can't wait to get back to our family. And so I'm thankful you're here. I thank you that you, you make Sunday a priority, and I'm excited what God is going to do today. Well, as Josh said, we are closing out our series called Non-Compete. We've been looking at what the Bible has to say about this idea of idols or idolatry. But for many of us, we have things come to our head when we talk about this. For some of us, when we think about idols, we think of that like golden statue, right? That golden statue. And, and for some of us, it might be like we think of that TV show like American Idol. Is that even on uh, TV anymore? I have no idea. Where is Simon, right? Like something comes to our mind. And, but the reality is the Bible has something very different to say and something much more convicting. And so what we've been doing through this series is kind of looking at this definition when we talk about Christian idolatry. And, and it's this. When we know God said to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind, but live as if he said some. We live as if he said some. Now, before we go any further into the sermon today, I want to give a disclaimer about what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, We are talking about the idol of lust. Now, if you're saying they're like, this is the Sunday I decided to come to church, like, oh man, I decided to wake up for this. Yes, I'm thankful you're here. I know God's going to speak through it this morning, but we're going to be looking at a very tough passage. We're going to be looking at a very tough passage in the Old Testament because in that passage, it it, it goes around the topic and highlights a tragic rape. And I want to give that, I want to share that with you up front because, man, I wish these passages didn't exist in the Bible. I I don't know if you've ever done that. You've been reading through scripture and you see a story and you're like, man, I I don't want to have to go through this. I don't want to have to look at this. But, But here's what this passage does. When I was reading this, what it did for me is it highlighted something. That just like how today there is extreme brokenness. That there was also extreme brokenness back in the Old Testament. And what it does for me is it highlights our great need for the gospel. But here's what I want to do. I want to pause for a moment when we talk about this. I have women in my life that have been um, struck by the pain of sexual abuse. I've, I've seen the pain in them. I, 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 I've seen the struggle. I've seen it. But, 
But what I want to do is I want to pause for a moment because if you or someone you know has experienced this level of pain, there's something I need you to know. Number one, you are not broken. Number two, that you are loved by God. Number three, it is not your fault. And number four, that we serve a God who seeks justice. So before we go any further, what I want to do is I simply want to pause and pray. I want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray for you this morning. If if this is something that is going on in your life, in your heart, I want to pray that God can speak through it and in it in your life. So would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you that you love us. And God, I thank you that that there's healing in you. And God, if there's someone in this room or someone watching online right now that's struggling, God, I pray that in this moment that they feel your peace, that they feel your love. And the pieces in their heart that feel shattered, God, in you there is power to bring those pieces back together. So God, I pray for that in this moment. I pray for healing. You are the God of love. You are the God of peace. You are the God of restoration. God, I pray for your justice. I thank you that you could not let sin go and you needed to go to the cross for us. And you paid the penalty for sin. So God, I thank you for that. And God, I pray for the sermon today. I pray that as we're talking about a difficult subject, God, I know there is truth in here that we need to hear. There is truth in here that I needed to hear. So God, I pray for the sermon today. I pray that we're able to hear and our hearts are opened and softened to the truth that we have in your word. So Jesus, we love you. In your holy name, amen. Well, if you've heard me preach before, you know that I've often talked about my my weight loss journey. And and that's because um, God taught me so much through it. When I was in my early 20s, I was about 70 pounds heavier than I am now. And with the COVID, you know, there's probably a 15 added to it. But we're, we're, still, we're still in the, we're in the pocket. But I remember uniquely, I was in a transitioning phase. Like I had lost the weight I wanted to lose. And, and I kind of went into maintenance mode. And one of the things I, I did to kind of maintain my weight and I tried was this thing called intermittent fasting. Some of you may have heard about this. It's where you kind of eat all your food in a certain time window, and then you kind of fast the rest of it. And and I tried that for a while, and maybe that worked for you, but here's something I learned in me when I tried to do it. What I would do is, right, because I kind of would eat all my food between like like 5 p.m. and like 8 p.m. or something like that, and I would be at work. And what I would do is, man, I would just be dreaming, I'd be sitting at my desk and be like, oh, there's that like box of, I don't even know what, but there's a box of, there's a box of something at home and man, I know it tastes good and I'm so hungry, right? And, and I would just, in my mind, just kind of like dream and fantasize about like this food. This is not something I did before, right? This was not a habit of mine dreaming about food and, and I would just, and, and just cycle and cycle and cycle. And what I would end up doing is I would, as soon as I got home, I would burst in the door and try and find anything close, like the quickest thing I could scarf down, and, and I would just feast and binge and all of these things. I had never struggled with binging before. This was something new for me, and, and I got to a moment, I had to pause. I'm like, what is going on? 
This is not something I want in my life because I, I would sit there, I'd get to the end of it and I would just look at the, the kind of the graveyard of wrappers that would be left in my wake and, and I would sit there and just be like, man, I'm, I'm in shame. Like, what is this? Man, like, I hate myself. Like, this is not me. What am I even doing? And what I would do is I, I would look at kind of the things that I just consumed. Like, I try to satisfy myself quickly in the temporary. And then after I got done, I would just discard these wrappers like trash because they no longer served a purpose to me. Like, I didn't get done, and I didn't, like, enjoy that. And I didn't take my phone and be like, man, these rappers need to go on the Instagram grid. Like, I got to remember this. No, this was a temporary moment. This is a moment I wanted to forget. I simply wanted it to go away. Now, now this is a, a silly explanation, but it gets to the heart of what we're going to be talking about today. And that's that topic of lust. Because this is what lust does. It turns people, places, and things into objects. Lust turns people, places, and things into objects. We try and find and source our satisfaction in something temporary. And once we get what we want, we discard it because it no longer serves a purpose to us. And, and what we do is when we try to source our satisfaction in the temporary, uh, we just cycle over and over and over again, chasing the next thing. Or, or, or this girl didn't work, so I'm just going to you know, move on from her and go to the next girl. Or, or this job didn't work, and I'm just going to ditch that job and go on to the next thing. And we cycle and cycle and cycle. Now, when we talk about this idea of lust, what, what do we mean? What does the Bible have to say? about lust, and, and we're going to work through this definition. Biblically, lust is to crave something associated with worldly desires of sexual intent or material possessions. Lust has its focus on pleasing oneself at the expense of another, and oftentimes it leads to toxic and sinful actions. Because the root of lust purely is selfishness. Lust has no interest in being something for someone. It only has interest in taking something from someone. In the book of Job, there is a powerful verse that talks about the devastation that lust can have in our life. And in Job, it says this, For lust is a shameful sin. A crime that should be punished. It is devastating. A devastating fire that destroys hell. It would wipe out everything I own. You see, Job understands the devastating consequence that lust can have in our lives. Because lust attacks the very foundation of our Christian faith. You see, Jesus Christ calls us to live a life that is selfless. But as we kind of live a life, kind of living one lustful thing to another lustful thing, it puts our heart in a position of selfishness, right? I just got to get what I want. I got to get what I need. Whatever's around me that, that I'm, I got to feed off of, I'm craving. I just got to take what I want. We're called to find our satisfaction in God alone. And lust sells us the lie that we can find our satisfaction in everything else. I mean, we live in a world that says, man, if you feel something, you need to act on it. 
You know that emotion that you have, man? Man, don't even think twice about it, man. If you have that emotion, just go for it. We're called for instant gratification. It's our top priority. Man, you just need to name it and claim it and make it yours no matter the cost and no matter the circumstances. Well, today in our passage, we're going to look up close. We're going to look up close of the tragedy of lust. And that lust does not only destroy, destroy our lives, it destroys the lives of the people around us. And we're going to see uniquely in the passage today, it does not only destroy the lives of the people around us, it can have generational consequences in our life. So today's text, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 13, and I want to set the scene for us before we go any further. Uh, this uh, 2 Samuel really highlights the life of King David. Some of you know King David. Uh, David was the, the Goliath, right, the sling. He, he swung the, the stone and took down the Goliath. David was the one who united the nation of Israel. Like David was this prominent figure. Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 13, we see David in a moment where he is filled with lust. He, he sees Bathsheba. It highlights that he, he sees this woman named Bathsheba taking a bath. And man, he, he looks at her not as a person, but he looks at her as an object. And he says, I, I need her. Despite the consequences, I need her. And what ends up happening is he commits adultery, ends up getting Bathsheba pregnant and and she has, he, she has a, a husband named Uriah, and well, he has to figure out a plan to cover up his mess. So what he ends up doing is he ends up trying to get Uriah drunk, and, and that doesn't quite work. And eventually it leads to Uriah being killed. And through Nathan, David eventually recognizes his sin. He, rec he eventually recognizes the consequences, and he repents from it. He mourns from it. We see that in Psalms, but it doesn't stop the idea that there are generational consequences to David's sin. And we're going to see that in the passage today. So we're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 13, looking at verse 1. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Ammon, David's son, loved her. Gross. And Ammon was tormented that he, that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin and she, it seemed impossible for Ammon to do anything to her. I want to pause for a second. I want to kind of, what are we looking at here? Number one, we're seeing a very dysfunctional family. We're seeing two brothers kind of highlighted in this passage and a, and a younger, beautiful sister. And then we see this younger brother like looking at his sister, like fantasizing about his sister, like to the point where he's getting physically ill. Like this is not okay. It's not even okay. Like in Leviticus, it says this kind of love is sinful. Like this is not okay. We're seeing a boy with uncontrolled fantasies like claiming that he feels love, but Man, we're going to see this is not love. Like, this is not okay. This is what we're calling lust. We're starting this chapter already in the trench of a mess. What I want to highlight here, because as we get into this, is, is the first thing is the power of our thought life. I want to, I want to pause here is the, is the power of our thought life. In 2 Corinthians, it says this, we need to take every thought captive 
Every thought that we have in our mind, we need to take that thought captive and submit it to be obedient to Christ. Because if we don't control our thought life, our thought life will control us. And we see that in the life of Amon. It was running rampant. Like he, he got himself to a point where he was physically ill. But I want to pause for a moment and say, don't we easily do this? Or maybe this is just me. I mean, I've been in moments where I like, you know, when you're at work and you're like, some guy says something to you that just triggers you. And you're like, that guy was a jerk. And then you spend the next hour like in your head, just like, man, how big of a jerk he is. And you just start oozing. And an hour later, you're in a place of fantasizing how you could run him over with your car. And you're like, how did I get here? Right, this is that idea of like, if we're not taking our thoughts captive, we're not saying, man, there is sin in this thought. Like, man, I don't hate this man. This guy might be a little jerk, but like, man, I need to love it. If we don't take these thoughts captive and submit them to Christ, there is danger. There is danger with our thought life left unchecked. Now in this passage, Amon has a, a decision to make. He's in a fork in the road, right? He's having these, these sinful fantasies. He's having these thin, sinful thoughts about his sister, and he has a decision to make. And we're going to see what is the decision he decides to make. Is, is he going to take his thoughts captive? If he, is he going to say, man, man, th this is not okay, and I need to reach out to another bro brother in Christ and, 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 and have a conversation, or I need to dive into the Word and just, man, this is not okay? Is that what he does? In verse 3, it says this. Amon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, son of Shimei. We'll go with that. David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. So what does he do? Amnon, what he does is he goes to that friend. He goes to that friend for some help. And what they do is him and Jonadab begin to start uh, putting together a very crafty plan to get Tamar into a very compromising position. You ever have that friend? You know that friend that like, we go to, you know, you're just having that bad day and, and you know you have the friends that you could reach out to who are going to tell you the good things, but you don't want that friend today, right? You want that friend that you're going to text and Oh, man, they're going to they're gonna fire me up. Yeah, yeah. You know what she just said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going to text you back, oh, man, she is a jerk. Yeah, you're right to feel that way. Yeah, what have you said this and what do you do? I mean, we all have those moments. Who are you allowing to speak into your life? Are you allowing the voices in your life to, to kind of guide you to Christ and guide you to holiness? Are you just feeding yourself with those voices who are feeding you in sinful nature and feeding you in sinful thought life? This is a question that we need to ask for us. You have friends that are challenging you in love, saying, no, we want to grow together in Christ, and we, we want to be all who Christ wants us to be, or, or are we in a place of, man, I just want to stay in the sewer? I just want to stay in the trenches of my sin, and, and I'm just going to find all the people that echo back all the things that are going on in my life. Well, after being a fool and receiving sinful counsel, Amon sets a plan in motion. 
And, and what he ends up doing, he ends up going to his dad, David, and, and allow Tamar to kind of come to his chamber because Amon's going to pretend to be sick. And he has this crafty plan to, to kind of get Tamar into a compromising positions, and he ends up dismissing his servants, and, and that's where we pick up in the text in verse 10. And then Amon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamon took the cakes that she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amon, her brother. But, but when she brought them near to him, he took hold of her and said, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me for such things are not done in Israel. Tamar is pleading to her brother, don't do this. This is not okay. We serve in God's kingdom. We serve in the nation of Israel. This kind of behavior is not okay. As for me, where I could carry my shame, and as for you, who would be one of, one of the outrageous fools in Israel, she's now pleading with him, like, if you do this, you're going to be a fool. If you do this, you're going to experience shame. Now, therefore, speak to the king, for he will not be withhold you from me. What she's even doing, like, she knows this is sin, but she's trying to plead with him of, like, there's a lesser option here. Like, maybe we could just get married. Yes, that's bad, but at least it wouldn't be this. But he would not listen to her. For being stronger than she was, he violated her and lay with her. Here we see the very principle of lust lived out. Amon didn't love her. He wanted to use her. He wanted nothing for her. He wanted something from her. She reasoned. She tried to reason with him. She pleaded with him. Be rational. The decision you are about to make is going to destroy your life and is going to destroy my life. But he didn't care. Because this is what lust does. It blinds us of our realities. When we feed our thought life and we're, man, I just got, I just, man, if I just, if I just went a little bit further, if I just craved a little bit more, if I just got a little bit more of what we want, like, we, we don't look at the consequences. He was blinded by selfishness. He did not see Tamar as a child of God. He saw her as an object he could use. I think the powerful thing in this scripture is scripture does not gloss over the level of sin that is happening here. Scripture doesn't try and downplay this. It's very raw and doesn't soften the blow. It highlights the devastating nature of less of lust and sexual sin. Now, I don't want to preach beyond my authority. I can't speak to the levels of pain that are found here, but this is what I know to be true is that this is sin and there is hope in Jesus. In this passage, we see a boy claiming love controlled by lust. And he tried to find his temporary satisfaction in Tamar and failed. This is an extreme example. But this is a very real example that if we allow lust to impact our everyday life, left unchecked, it will have devastating consequences in our life. Because God calls us, he wants to, us to live a life that God has all of our hearts and all of our soul and all of our mind. And if God does not sit on the top shelf of our life, 
it can have devastating consequences. Because here's what we do. We have this shelf here. And see, when we have God on the top shelf of our life, this is how we're filtering our decisions. Because this is eye level. This is what we're seeing. When God is here, everything else filters down through. But what we end up doing is, man, she's really pretty. You know, I, I, know, what God's, I know what God says, but I'm going to put him here. And Yeah, the, this temporary, the budget was running low, so I got the... But you know, this is what I really want. I know, I, I think it would satisfy me. So I'm going to put this on the top shelf of my life. And what we end up doing is this is what we see. This is how we filter our decisions. This is how we see people. We don't filter it through God because we put this on the top shelf of our life. This is what we're talking about when we talk about the idea of idols. That everything else goes on the bottom shelf and God goes on the top shelf because in God, that is where we find our true satisfaction. When God is on the top shelf of our life, everything else is filtered down. Because what we end up doing is we chase our careers and instead of filtering our careers through Jesus, we filter our careers through this is what I want and I'll destroy my family, I'll run over people, I'll do whatever I can to get what I want in my career. Or we do that in our relationships. Some of you have allowed lust into your marriages. Man, I no longer see my spouse as, as a child of God and someone I can equally serve. No, I, I see them as someone that I can just use. They're there to just feed me my needs. And, and what ends up happening is you're destroying your life and you're destroying your relationships. You're destroying your marriage because God is not at the top. And this is where we're called to be that Jesus offers love. That when we love like Jesus and we filter our life through Jesus, it is the place that we can only find true satisfaction. Now in verse 15, we're going to see the idea of lust cemented in Amon's life. Then Amon hated her with great hatred, so that the hatred for which he hated her was greater than the love which he loved her. And Amon said, get up and go. What started with love in his life ended in lust and destruction. How quickly we confuse the two. How quickly, oh, oh I, I love this person. I love, no, you just want something from them. Amon did, did not love Tamar. He lusted for her. He wanted nothing for her. He wanted something from her. And this is an extreme example when we allow self, the selfishness of lust to permeate our life. The passage ends with David hearing the news. He hears the news, and, and when it ends up happening is he ends up doing nothing. He does nothing. What was great, a, once a courageous hero, the guy who took down the giant, he hears the news and does nothing because he's realizing that his boys has turned out just like him. We see the younger brother take in Tamar, kind of raising to the challenge, saying, well, my dad's not going to do anything, so I guess I need to step in. So he takes his sister in, and what he ends up doing is he starts concocting a plan to kill his brother. And two years later, he ends up getting his brother drunk and murdering him. And here's where we're left. 
We're left with a murder. We're left with a rape. We're left with an apathetic father. We're left with a family in dysfunction. All because lust went unchecked. There's a powerful quote that so resonates in my heart. It says this, Sin will always keep you longer than you're willing to stay. It will cost you more than you're willing to pay and will take you further than you want to go. My guess is that when Amon was kind of sitting in the courtyard looking at his sister, he did not see the end game. He did not see the devastation that his family would be in. But that's what sin does. It just takes you one more step and one more step and one more step. And then you look back and look at the carnage. So what was Amon's downfall? What could he have done to kind of stop this downfall? Um, I want to walk us through some of our endless growth values. Uh, Number one, he didn't pursue community. At church, we talk about, we have a value that says, do you have a Christian community that is encouraging to your faith? Amon at no point went to some godly counsel and said, hey, I, I, need, to, I need to ask you a question. I'm having these thoughts. Like, like, is this okay? And had a brother in Christ be like, bro, you need help. At no point did he do that. Amon didn't daily surrender. He didn't take his thought life and said, man, I need to put these captive. I need to make my thought life obedient to Christ. I have these lustful thoughts, and man, I know there's hope in God to free me from this, and I just need to daily surrender this. I need to put this at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, you need to help me through this. No, he didn't do that. He didn't engage with God. I don't know if you you caught that through reading this text. At no point did anyone engage with God. At no point did anyone cry out, man, man, what is going on in my life? I need to pray to God. I need to dive into scripture. I I need to find clarity in what's happening here because, because this is not okay. At no point did anyone in this passage engage with God. Church, this is why we challenge you week after week to do these things, to dive into these discipleship values because God wants so much more for you. God wants you to serve others. He doesn't want you to take from others. He wants you to live in the spirit of joy, peace, love. He wants you to bring hope to the world. He wants you to share the gospel. He wants you to change communities. God wants you to have families that are glorifying to him. Like God wants so much more from you. Because in God, you can find true satisfaction through the love that he has for you. And this is our big idea for the thought, our passage today, is that true love satisfies. What Amen had was not true love, it was lust. But in Christ, we can have true satisfaction. Because satisfaction only comes through Jesus alone. In the fall of Amon, we found her, he found himself uncontrolled with lust. Searching and searching and searching, looking for satisfaction when that satisfaction can only have been found in his God. It only could be found in his God. But this is what love does. It sells us the lie that we can look everywhere else. We look in every other situation, and this is the deep tragedy that we're seeing here. So here's what we're going to do. I want to challenge you. Because I, we need to be a church, a church, who doesn't allow lust in our life. 
Man, if there is lust in our heart, even to the slightest degree, left unchecked, it can have devastating consequences in our life. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going to do it too with you this week. What I want you to do is just to fast for 24 hours. Because what fasting does is it it pauses our hearts for a time. And we're going to take out the distraction of food. And when we start feeling hungry, we're going to pray. And we're, we're going to pray maybe two prayers. Some of you in this room know there's lust in your heart. It's not to the level of this, but you know you're chasing something. You're chasing a person or a place and you're turning that thing into an object. It's not love. And man, you want to be free from that. So maybe this week you need to take some time to to fast and say, God, I'm putting this before you, God. I I don't want this less in my heart. I want to live a life that is glorifying to you. So I'm just going to pause and, and God, you need to take hold of my heart. God, I want freedom this week. God, remove this lust from my heart. For some of you, you just need to be proactive. Man, you don't want to go down this destructive path. And and you might say, like, I don't think I struggle with this. But maybe this week you need to pause before God and say, God, you need to search my heart. God, I'm I'm not okay with average. God, I I need to pause right now. You need to search me. If there is an area of my life, if there's an area of my relationships, if if there's an area of what I'm chasing, if if there's something in my heart that there is a lustful attribute to it, God, God, I don't want it. And God, you need to take that from me. Because in you, that's where I want my satisfaction. I'm done chasing my satisfaction in every other thing, God, and and I'm just pausing before you. Because that's what fasting allows us to do is it allows us the time to simply pause, to take the distractions away and just simply pray for a day and allow God to do a work in us. This series, we've been asking that question. What is on the top shelf of your life? Is God on the top shelf? Is God your number one? When we, when we read the verse that God, we love God with all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our thought, like, is that where we are? Or or is God on the number two shelf? Is God on the number three shelf? Maybe we put our family on that top shelf. Maybe we put our career, our relationships, or or the things we're chasing, or our money, or our fine. Like, we, we, we put something on the top shelf. What we see in scripture is God is deserving on that top shelf. And if God is on that top shelf, and we're filtering everything else down through it, that will change everything. So this week, do some work. I need to do some work. Because every day it's a challenge. Every day something's pulling at me. Every day something's trying to go on that top shelf of my life. But this week, and now make a declaration that moving forward, God will always be number one. Nothing can compete with him. Because true love can only be found in Jesus. Because he provides our satisfaction. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. God, even though this was a tough passage, God, I thank you that your truth is is seen throughout. God, I thank you for your gospel. 
I thank you that, man, there is hope that if we are struggling in an area, that there is hope in you that we can bring our hurts and our burdens and our sin to you. And you went to the cross to die on our behalf, to take those sins and wash them away. And then in you, we can have hope. God, I confess in this moment and I pray for this church that we will collectively confess that we are done putting other things on the top shelf of our life. God, we want you on the top shelf of our life. And we want to filter everything. We want to filter our relationships and our marriages and our finances and and our careers. We want to filter everything through you. Because in you, we can find true satisfaction. We don't need to chase anymore. We can just rest in your presence and we can rest in who you are and we can rest in your love. So God, I pray for our people. I pray that this week, if they do the work to just simply fast and come before you and and put these things before you, put the the things in their heart that they need to just let go of, God, I pray that you come alongside them, that you surround them with your presence and, and they feel the freedom of knowing that they can walk in peace with you, that they're putting aside all these other things. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you in your holy name.